Hey guys, it's Tim. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible.com. Audible is offering listeners of this podcast a free book and a 30-day free trial when they sign up at audibletrial.com slash productive ministry. Audible has over 180,000 titles, which can be listened to on your iPhone, Android, MP3 player, or Kindle device. Check it out at audibletrial.com slash productive ministry. Hey guys, this is Rocky. I just wanted you to know that today's episode deals with some very adult subjects. Now, while I promise there's nothing explicit, gratuitous, or graphic, we do discuss the existence of some very dark realities that come with living in a lost and fallen world. We suggest not listening to this in front of children. It may introduce them to some concepts they're not ready for. Okay, let's begin. Episode 21, Loving All Peoples with Kyle Jenkins. Welcome to Productive Ministry, where it is our goal to help pastors do the things they have to do so they can do the things they're called to do. Today's guest is Kyle Jenkins. We've tried for months and months to get him on our show. He's just so busy doing these incredible things. I'm a fan of Kyle. I'm inspired by him. I read his blog. I keep up with his ministry. I follow him on Facebook. I'm just really excited that he's here. He's going to talk about the things that God is doing through him and through the ministry that they have. Um, I can tell you right now that you're probably going to not agree with everything in this episode. I actually say at one point in this episode, half my audience's heads just exploded. This episode is as difficult as it is beautiful. In today's episode, we're going to talk about carrying the cross, washing the feet of sex workers, drug addicts who do ministry, being foolish for Christ, miracles, and many other things. There's so many great things that happen in this episode. I'm so excited. So let's just jump right into it. Welcome to Productive Ministry. Our guest today is Kyle Jenkins, who in 2003, along with his wife, decided to start a ministry called Loving All Peoples. Kyle, I'm glad you're on the show. Glad to be here. It's awesome. I've been trying to get you on because I'm so excited about what God is doing in that community and following on social media. I read your blog and uh, I'm so happy to give you the chance to tell your story here with my audience today. Just so that we have some background information, you moved to a community in Dallas called Vickery Meadows. Right. Yeah. In 2003, we lived there for two years. Yeah. What is Vickery Meadows for those people who aren't from Dallas and don't know it is? Yeah, it's... uh... One of the most dense populations in the state of Texas. Just a, it's the one of the biggest resettling places for refugees in the country, and but it's also a huge Latino population. Just mm-hmm. lower income housing, all that kind of stuff. It's got everything. It's the coolest place in the world. You had been working there before you and your wife decided to move there. Yeah, uh, I started following Jesus in 1999, and pretty much started working there in 1999. You just immediately, you're just like, I have this. You were zealous, you were young. <laughs> yeah, I. my story, you know, just crazy life up to that point, just drugs, alcohol, fighting, all that kind of stuff, horrible temper. Got invited to a, a home group that I never wanted to go to, and then I finally decided I'm going to go and walked up the steps and still reluctant to be there and walking up the steps and didn't hear an audible voice, but I just coming out of a lot of pain, uh, just felt like God saying you're home and you don't have to struggle Mm -hmm. anymore. And just immediately that night, just weeped on the floor for three hours and got a spiritual family that I still walk with this to this day. And it was just such a miracle. I was just, uh, I was notoriously bad, famous in my community. So me coming to Jesus was a very big deal, and and I knew it. And yeah, it was just it was just such a miracle to me. It was just so real to me, and that if I can change, anyone can change. And just right. immediately wanted to start to go after people like me. I really can't explain it, but I just always felt this calling to go where people aren't. And in 1999, I just remember driving around, you know, God, where do you want me? And ended up in Vickery. 
I knew there wasn't much going on there, didn't know of any ministries, didn't know who was there. Just decided I was going to work there. So yeah, just started doing whatever, walking around, meeting people, and starting kids clubs and did all that, and then uh, going to Bible college at the same time, just just kind of growing. And then, yeah, yeah got married a month after our wedding, moved into Vickery. <laughs> I don't know if that's smart to do as newlyweds, but yeah, I've just had to be there. So we moved in there to really work with drug addicts and prostitutes and that kind of thing. Ended up learning what a refugee was, so ended up working with all sorts of people groups throughout these years. And that became, in 2003, Loving All Peoples. Yeah, we called, was- it, called it Vickery Meadow Ministry and just changed the name to Loving All Peoples because we kind of expanded outside of Vickery. One of the cool things that you guys do is, is carrying a, a large cross around. Hmm. Yep. How long have you guys been doing that? I want to say since 2010. Yeah, I like when people, people always ask me that. And, you know, I just kind of assume people think it's a cool idea I thought of or it's some sort of trendy thing to do. And if for people who know me best, I'm the, I want to be the opposite of trendy. Right. And I'm not going to do anything that I think, oh, this works or that's cool. But it's a really cool story of why I carry the cross. But, uh, you know, coming out of frustration of, you know, ministry not having fruit, just really crying out to God with my team in prayer one morning. And he gave me a vision of carrying a cross. And I didn't know anyone who'd, who'd done that mm-hmm. before. And so we, we come out of prayer and I tell my team about it reluctantly and I said, well, let's give it three days so God can confirm it, meaning I really didn't want to do it, and I'm sure mm-hmm. he won't speak to us in three days. But each day, someone in our conversation started talking about carrying a cross, but the significant was on the third day, one of my team members was in a bookstore, and a stranger, a lady, came up to her and just said, I, I feel like I'm supposed to tell you something. I feel like God wants me to tell you something. She said, okay. Um, I feel like you're supposed to watch this documentary about this uh, man carrying a cross around the world. His name's Arthur Blessed. And my teammate was so stressed about carrying the cross, she just starts crying. And she comes, of course, running back to us. So why I carry the cross? He told me to do it. It's out of obedience. And he said, carry that cross and you'll find fruit. But, you know, people think I'm bold and I don't care what people think. And it couldn't be farther from the truth. I feel foolish carrying the cross. It's embarrassing. You know, I have mm. to, uh, <laughs> it's definitely, I'm thinking about my high school friends, thinking I'm, surely they think I'm crazy. And people on the streets driving by think I'm crazy. And, you know, I have to really deny every part of my being just to pick it up. And I want people to know that it's it's not a, it's not an easy thing, but God comes through, you know, every time we carry it, we make a significant relationship with somebody or some uh, miracle connection happens. So I, you know, we'll always, people think when they come carry the cross, we're going to walk hours, you know, in 10 miles. And some days you don't get 50 yards because you have so many people coming up to you, stopping you. So yeah, that's why we do it. It's really interesting because, you know, I've read some of your stuff and like you'll be carrying the cross and, and then someone will come up to you and they'll be like, can I carry the cross? Oh yeah. Happens all the time. (laughs) And, and is that, is that, um, is that a weird thing? Like, yeah, usually in that case, it's a drug addict, honestly, or, you know, or some sort of addict. And I don't know why. (laughs) And I just kind of let them and, and then it leads up into a conversation and, Sometimes I think they're going to steal it because it, it, they walk it pretty far. And uh, I don't know. I just have fun with it. But that's usually the case. I don't know why. But it's usually the addicts that want to carry it and then it ends up in a conversation and hopefully build relationships and follow up with them. The nature of your ministry is just really kind of day-by-day day living in faith. And that's that's always a difficult thing because, you know, our audience is pastors who work in churches and you know they're waking up every day and they're doing just normal standard church work church ministry type things and one of the things i realize as a pastor is that there's always this crazy idea that god is calling me to do or or something like there's these moments of boldness mm-hmm. and 
one of the things I appreciate about you is is instead of justifying it, like you kind of lean into it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's not something that we're in the practice of. It's like um, after you hear God's voice so many times and you keep saying no and you keep saying no, and then you wonder why nothing miraculous is happening in your mind. Or, you know, why is it just so, you know, not spirit-filled or, or being spirit-led? Um, how do you submit that way? Yeah. No, I mean, something I learned a long time ago is, you know, whether it's in traditional church ministry or traditional church or whatever, I've, I've been through it, and I used to try to think of every practical idea that I could to reach people. You know, what made sense? And, you know, as you read the Bible, it's full of stories that force us to give God credit. You know, he tells us crazy things to do. Go walk around Jericho and the walls will fall down or go build mm -hmm. a go build a giant boat. I mean, whatever it is, the Bible is filled with those stories. It's almost like he, he doesn't want us to put us in a position where we can have the credit. But I learned this when we were working in brothels in Dallas. This is probably in 2007 or eight. But we tried to get in these brothels. These are kind of massage parlor fronts, big crime, big stuff going on there, dangerous places. We tried getting in there for a year. There wasn't any model to it. Nobody was doing it, so we didn't know what to do, so we just kind of went for it. But we tried every practical thing you could think of as, as a minister. Can we uh, teach you English? Can we help you with immigration? Can we... Can we Come clean around your brothel, pick up trash, or you know, bring them dessert, bring them flowers, whatever. But couldn't get in. And finally, in a prayer, another prayer time with my team, uh, someone said, "I just had a vision that we're supposed to go in there and wash their feet." And I literally said, "Yeah, right." Sarcastically, that's going to work. And mm. uh, we go to the brothels that morning, and our team of girls goes in the brothels, and they didn't come out. And usually it's a 10-second deal, get rejected and leave. Yeah, three hours later, they come out and they had washed the women's feet. Then we went to the next brothel, same thing happened. You know, three hours, totally in. It doesn't make sense. There was no reason for us, for them to say yes. But again, the key is, and the key for me personally in, in my ministry, it is so simple. What's the strategy? It's listening to God and doing what He says. And people come to me all the time. You know, they want to meet with me. They want to be encouraged, or maybe they're struggling with purpose in their life. And, you know, I just tell them, you know, every day is an opportunity to live out this radical life with a living God. And I usually kind of joke, we could go around this room right now, say we're in a coffee shop, and uh, minister to half the people in there and have them crying and end up following and making discipleship relationships with them or whatever, but we don't. You know, we, we don't we don't think that God's working all the time. We we can have a a radical adventurous life every hour if we just got in alignment with God and we're looking for opportunities and a lot of the stuff he tells me to do in my head feel crazy, but you know, I just I've just gotten to the point where I try not to care anymore what people think and it always ends up in some crazy story. So I'm having a blast. You know, life yeah. is hard on earth, but I, I want the stories that are happening in the Bible. I never was attracted to what I was hearing growing up and didn't understand Christianity. It was very stale to me. And especially when I finally read the Bible, you know, boy, I want that. I want the real thing. And I just decided one day I'm not going to settle. And I'm, I'm going to go for that, whatever it takes, even if it means my life or risking, you know, whatever, I'm just going to go for it. And no regrets. So, yeah. But it's it's messy. I think that we get this picture in our head of what faith is supposed to be and how it's supposed to work, and it's supposed to be clean and neat. And we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, and we think, well, if my life is producing love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, and then, like, those are all very sterile ideas. But the reality is, is that, you have that love and joy and peace in the midst of chaos. And that's, that's beautiful, man. Because I think that we all feel that, don't we? Mm -hmm. Like inside of us, we all feel like church or our faith is somewhat 
stagnant or sterile or that there's something that's just not how it was supposed to be mm-hmm. right and yeah. um so it's it's disappointing to think that we live like in a in a history of uh, a, a part of the history of the church where people are like well miracles don't happen mm-hmm. you know that was something that god was using to spread the gospel mm-hmm. you know when christ was here on earth but you know we have all these these theories about like the ascension and after that, it was different, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How do you respond to that? How do you respond when people are like, well, you know, these have to be coincidences. You know, there are no miracles. What yeah. do you say? Well, first of all, going back to the chaos, yeah, it's uh, there's a suffering to it. Jesus said we'll be persecuted and suffering, and I think even in America, if, if we're, you know, we think we're not being persecuted, but if, if you're not... The only reason we're not being persecuted is because we're not sharing the gospel, plain and simple. I get rejected on a daily basis, mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel good. You know, that's that. And suffering, it's, it's a very, man, this world is messed up. When you get into, you know, whether you live in an upper-class neighborhood and married to the lower income, there's marriages broken, messed up. I mean, it's, it is a crazy world. And the suffering for me is I'm, I'm not an a closed country where I'm going to lose my life over it like they are, but I have to engage emotionally in these people. And it's really tough for me. You know, I'm, you know, I would rather be, you know, you know, just working a job where I didn't have to get into people's lives. That's very hard, but that's my call to dying to myself. And, you know, with the, uh, the miracles and stuff, you know, I get that a lot. And, you know, I, I hear both sides of it, and I'm, till the day I die, I'm always going to be on a journey of, you know, what is the supernatural? What is miracles? What are the gifts and all that kind of stuff? I'm, I'm not one of those uh, that claim I know all the right answers. I know I miss it. Um, but when I'm in dangerous situations or risky situations, you can believe it, I am. I am asking for the Holy Spirit and any supernatural thing to happen possible. And, and you know, of course, when I read the Bible, not to get in theology, but there, there's just nothing there I see that, that changed. But, you know, yeah. there's a lot I don't understand. But miracles happen when you step out, plain and simple. So do I, do I doubt them? Even do I think they're coincidences when they happen to me? Yeah, all the time. I mean, I I, I struggle with, with with faith and is this real and am I crazy? I mean, I, I battle that every day. So I have to have I have to have the power of God. I, I just I have to. I don't see how anyone can live without it. Well, one of my favorite stories on your blog is called "Carrying the Crosses Among Addicts and Prostitutes," and I was hoping that you could read this uh this blog post i think it's indicative of the kind of stuff that you're experiencing and and what your ministry does uh, and how it all works out so would you mind reading that for us yeah yeah carrying the cross among addicts and prostitute and yeah this is typical uh outreach for us but starts off this day was going to be a crazy day We took the cross to Harry Hines area recently to love on and meet with addicts and prostitutes. We have learned that many addicts and prostitutes hang out early in the morning because they are either out all night or they are needing their next fix. So we want to let you remind you that this is Dallas. It sounds like a movie scene, but this is as real as can be, and it's happening all around us. We met up in a parking lot that is next to a tattoo parlor surrounded by brothels. The tattoo owner came out to warn us of gang activity, drugs, prostitutes, and the murder that just happened there. I couldn't tell if if he was trying to warn us for our safety or if he was trying to scare us off, but our team didn't miss a beat. From what the man said, we knew we were in the right place. Jesus would be here, and that was enough for us. We know going into any outreach that God is going to do something, but we never know what. I can't explain the feeling of expectation we always have before we go out and carry the cross. All I know is that, he, is that He gives us faith and we go with great expectation. We prayed together and we were off. And wouldn't you know it, within seconds of picking up that cross, a young man waved to me and came running over to us. The first thing he said was, can I carry that cross? I said, of course. 
and he proceeded to tell me his story as we walked. He told me a story about how he is a follower of Jesus, but he had been in and out of rehab and comes there once a week to buy drugs. He told me that he knows his calling is to share the gospel with others like him, but he was just trying to quit drugs. This man was in his right mind and honestly knew the Bible very well. I was wondering how he was going to carry the how long he was going to carry the cross. He never put it down the entire outreach, two hours worth of walking. I knew it was going to be another normal day carrying the cross. We walked through brothel areas and through many little attic pods of people. I was trying to encourage this guy that God was going to use him in amazing ways because story. After these conversations, another addict came rushing over to us, and he asked us to come share Jesus to his friend, who he said was dying on the other side of the road. As we crossed the busy road, I told my new friend that I was glad he was with us to be able to talk to this guy. He then looked at me pretty nervously and made a comment that he didn't know what to say. After he said that, I was praying about what to say to the dying man. I knew my job was to help love and share the gospel with this dying man. I was prepared in my heart, and I knew what I was going to say. We finally get to the man laying there against the wall with some other addicts. We introduced ourselves and met everyone there, and before, and before I knew it, my friend just started sharing the gospel with this dying man, the guy that was carrying the cross. To say, the, to say I was shocked was an understatement. His words were extremely sincere and legit too. It was the true gospel and it was more compassionate than I could ever have made it. It was one drug addict ministering to another. I never had to say a word to the dying man. I was blown away by what I believe was a miracle. The miracle of the Holy Spirit coming into someone and making them completely bold and saying the right thing, the truth, true miracle. The dying man was somewhat coherent when we walked up, but now he was listening. After my friend talked to him for a while, I started to pray for the man. And when I finished praying, the dying man said something under his breath. I couldn't hear him. I leaned closer and asked him to repeat it. And here are the words he said, word for word. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 As he said those words, I remember thinking that he sounded and looked like a child, like he was pulling something out of uh, childhood memory. It was so soft and sweet, difficult to explain. My heart melt and I began to tear up because I was in the middle of what God was doing. And also because, although this was a powerful moment, I was sorrowful for the physical state of this man. I knew this man was probably going to die soon. We offered him help in many ways, but he wouldn't take it. There was really nothing more we could do. Only God knows his heart, but I like to believe that when he dies, he will be a child running up to Jesus with perfect peace. This is the gospel. Oh, how I love to share it. The story of Jesus that drastically changed my life. How could I ever not share it, no matter with who or what it costs me? What a beautiful day. What a privilege to get to share this beautiful gospel. What a privilege to be around God's hurting children who he created. What a privilege to do exactly what Christ has called us to do. That's a beautiful day. Man, hmm. like I'm just, uh, I, every time I read it, I, I tear up. Do you hmm. know what I mean? Because that's like, that's the miracle of Christ, right? Like that's the, that's the message of hope that we have for the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you get to, you, you find yourself in these, in these positions where you get to just authentically explain that. And, and our temptation, I think, as as pastors who work in churches, is that we're going to convince ourselves that the reason that you get to experience this and uh, and we don't um, is because of the part of town that you work in. But like, what a what a lie, <laughs> you know? What yeah. a lie it is! Like, what a what a terrible thing it is that we believe when we believe that. Because I know. I know countless men uh, and women who are who are stuck in, in sexual addiction, who are stuck in drug addiction, who are abusing their wives and kids, and they live in the suburbs, right? Mm-hmm. But but the only difference I think between you and any other Christian is that you are you've made the commitment to not wait for them to come to you, mm-hmm. but to actively seek them out. Um, 
Yeah, and the reality and, is, like you said, there's hurting people all around us, no matter what neighborhood we live in. And we just have to take the time to listen to God. He, that, that event, that blog post, uh, maybe not so dramatic because of the air we're working in, but stuff like that can happen every day for anybody if you deny yourself and just try to fit in God's will. And what yeah. an exciting life. But it's such a rare, life. it's rare. <laughs> that experience, people can go 30 years without that happening. Uh, you know, maybe it's a once, you know, once every now and then, or maybe that's, that story's going to happen. I mean, I, it can happen every day. Some yeah. days I choose not to enter, in, enter into it, but I, I try my best to. When you're working in an, in an area like that, I imagine... I don't want to speak for you because I don't really know, mm. but I know that I work in a church mm-hmm. and even in a church where we have things like key performance indexes, we get to count how many people we're, we're leading to Christ and, and baptizing them and getting them involved in groups. And, and that's the world that I, I live in. And even for me, when I know the numbers, there are times where I get frustrated and say, you know, we're not bearing fruit. It feels overwhelming. Um, how do you deal with that? day to day how do i deal with am i bearing fruit or not or yeah there? like how do you like when when uh when you're struggling with those things for like it's such a it's such an abstract thing like we try <laughs> we try we try and quantify how god yeah, is working yeah. it's human nature right like we want to know we want to know if, it, if it's being effective or if yeah. we're just wasting our time yeah um, i mean the reality so. is it's it's hard you know uh I want, we'd all agree, we want the whole world to come to Christ. And uh, we all know it's not that way. I've, I've almost quit ministry a couple times because of frustration of not seeing fruit. Or I want it to happen faster. Or I, I lead people, or I find people that I think are going to walk with Jesus and end up falling away. It happens on a weekly basis. So, but you just, you keep pressing forward and and it's that's part of the suffering of it so but i know one thing if we don't go to people we're not going to see anything so for sure hey guys it's tim again we're taking a quick break to tell you about audible.com who's sponsoring the podcast this week Audible is offering a free book and a 30-day free trial to all the listeners of Productive Ministry. To sign up for it, you can go to audibletrial.com slash productiveministry. We're recommending the book The Way of the Heart by Henri Nouwen. This is a book that we talked about right before Lent when we did our devotional episode. If you've been wanting to check that book out, well, now's your chance to listen to it for free. Sign up for a free trial and download The Way of the Heart by Henri Nouwen for free. Thanks. Now back to our show. You talk about suffering a lot. And why is that Why is that so special to you? Uh, well, I don't know if it's special to me. I think Peter talks about embracing suffering. I mean, it's, it's not fun, but it's just a part of it. it. My life, and this is biblical, I was reading it this morning actually, but my life, isn't my own anymore. It's Christ. So I'm a slave to Christ. I su- surrender to Christ. And, you know, when I, I, I talk a lot about uh, suffering for Christ, giving it all up, even if you have to die or, or be humiliated or, um, or give up your, um, a good place to live, you know, people can take that, man, that's a bad thing. I don't want that. And to me, it's the opposite. Like Jesus knows what he's doing. He says, leave everything and follow me. Mm-hmm. That's the key to me. That's the key to abundant life. People think I'm losing things, but I'm, I'm gaining everything. And for me, that's, that's been my key to abundant life, adventure and peace and closeness. And the most important thing, closeness with Jesus. Yeah. yeah. It's just a part of it. So other than walking around carrying crosses in, in sketchy neighborhoods, what else do you guys do? <laughs> yeah. Well, for, certainly that's not the entire, the entirety of your whole ministry. 
No. Or maybe it is. No, it's not. Well, I mean, it, at times it definitely is. And when you carry the crosses on s- streets, wherever you go, you're going to um, meet people. But we, uh, we work with refugees for all these years, too. So I'm, I've been working with Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists for over 15 years. And so it's, you know, it's a beautiful experience. I, I get foreign mission field here, um, mostly hanging out with internationals. Um, learning a lot through it and love hanging out with the people. And I get to, you know, I just went to an Afghan wedding last week with Muslims, a Muslim family we've been working with for 15 years. And I have a Latino party at my house on Mm -hmm. Saturday. And good for you. Yeah, it's just beautiful. (laughs) It's fun. But, you know, you know, what we do, I think I hit a frustration point, uh, I guess around 2009. My problem was I'm, I'm meeting people who are truly hungry for Jesus, whether it's a person from another faith or a drug addict or, or someone in an upper-class neighborhood. It didn't matter. It was, what, what, what do you do with them after you meet them? And yeah. ingrained in me as well, coming uh, from the American church, it was always invite them to church. That's the only thing I knew to do, so I just did what everyone else did, and of course, when you bring a prostitute to church, it doesn't always go so well. Or you bring a Muslim to church, it always doesn't go so well. And most times it completely backfired. And, you know, of course, they weren't comfortable there. They couldn't understand the message. It usually just blew up in my face and would actually turn people away. So, you know, in that, I would lose a lot of, a lot of the hungry people. Um, well, I just said, well, I'll just kind of start my own church in an apartment. Uh, but I ended up just doing, t- you know, typical things you would see in a church. And, you know, I'd invite Muslims and then play uh, whatever, Bethel iPod music and hope the worship music would convert them. You know, you know, I think kind of foreign missionaries are, are trained a lot better to work in their context. But here it's a little bit more difficult. You're working with so many people groups. So in 2010, I connected... Um, with some partners of mine that just really um, did what what they call church planning movements. It's it's all over the world on the international mission field, and it's extremely fruitful. But it's basically um, when you find a hungry person, disciple them, and basically start church in their own environment among their friends and family. And so, yeah, I mean that's yeah, that's basically what we do. You know, even, even with Americans. Um, you know, I ask, you know, I can start a conversation by, have you ever been to a church? you ever go to church? They say no, and they usually say 10 negative things about it. And I always say, right. well, what what would your be your ideal place to learn about God? Where would that be? And almost all of them say, well, you know, in my house with some friends and families, maybe have a beer. You know, they always say friends and family in their own environment. So, so our deal is, if people go to church and they, they, they love it, then I say great. But the reality is, and to me, I, you know, stats kind of vary, but I, I believe 80 to 90% of the people in this country don't go to church. And even in Dallas, when you look at the 3,000 churches, we kind of added up maybe 300,000 people go to church out of the 6 or 7 million. So yeah. it's such a small part of the population. So my heart's just to go after the, the 90% that aren't going to church. Basically, it's church plant, and it's and it's. So you're plant you're planting churches in houses, houses or wherever. I mean, the point is in their own environment with their own families. Yeah. You know, if you can get a, a a non-believer in a Bible study, and then their friends and family, and they're all learning about God together, mm-hmm. and uh, you're not we're not putting any traditional things at all on them. Um, they're just. Um, we just facilitate Bible studies or teach, most importantly, teach. We can teach non-believers how to facilitate Bible studies. And they can all learn about God together and, and come to Christ together. And then we teach those groups from the get-go. The DNA is multiply. You know, these yeah. are pre-believers learning. I have pre-believers sharing more than a lot of Christians. The, hmm. you know, one of our questions is, who, who are you going to share this passage with or who needs to hear this? And they'll go share it with their family members, and that's how you you multiply and meet more hungry people. So they're do, we're empowering them to do the work. So that's that's incredible, and I have a thousand questions. Yeah, 
So um, you talked about pre-believers and you said that um, you can even train non-believers to, to lead these church plants. Um, is that scary for you? <laughs> yeah, well, like, you that, think? yeah, it sounds like a, 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 I know it's interesting how I said it. It's, it's not, a, we don't consider it a church at that point, but they can absolutely right. facilitate a Bible study. Because here's the deal. I've started tons of Bible studies in the most craziest places you can think of. Brothels, drug houses, whatever, upper class, Americans. But the problem is, once I leave that group, it always ended. Because I was the the quote-unquote expert, and I never allowed anyone to lead. So, you know, we, from the get-go, we really look for that person in the group to facilitate. And I'm not using the word teach. They're just facilitating. We have some questions for them, and you know, they read a passage, and, you know, what's, what's this passage saying? And, and the, the most important thing is we ask every week, how can you apply this scripture to your life this week? So love your enemies. Mm-hmm. Jesus says, love your enemies. Do you have any enemies in your life this week? Well, of course people do. Well, what, what is God telling you to do with that person? And they, came up with, they come up with a very specific kind of I will statement. You know, maybe I'm going to go, this guy I hate at work, I'm going to go buy him lunch. And man, mm-hmm. look at that. You know, we just kind of go into church and listen to knowledge or and do we do anything with it? And just just doing, applying the Bible to your life is is beautiful. That's when you see the Bible truly come alive. So, so yeah, the facilitators are really just leading the questions, but we're still close. We're still coaching so close up. Uh, We, you know, we teach them if, if they say something totally off the wall, just say, the Bible says to love God. And they say, well, it says love Satan. Well, you just teach the facilitator to say, well, where'd you get that in this passage? You know, and we're so closely discipling that We're asking them how did it go, what was said. So you know, it's it, we're letting them facilitate, but we're still there. And sometimes we're not there. We're it's actually better not to be in the group at all. But right. we're meeting with that person many times a week. So and I just love, I just I love trying not to control it. Yeah. And turning it into my own tradition or uh, denomination. And, and really letting the Holy Spirit lead the group. Is it going to get messy? Yeah, absolutely. But I know trying to control it doesn't get very far. Yeah, I'll start a few perfect-looking groups, and then what? So, but letting, letting God... Groups. Yeah. Yeah. What? You'll have a few perfect-looking groups. Yeah. I was in a meeting with a consultant this week, and one of the things that he was saying is that when you're when you're thinking about stuff along these lines, that you can... You can start and you can plan and you can plan for control um, or you can or you can plan for growth. And, uh, and it's blowing me away that you're talking about this because after that, there was this conversation just about, well, what responsibility do church leaders have? You know, if we do something like this and we're empowering people to to start their own groups or whatever, you know, what if, what if they're teaching heresy and, and how do you keep that from happening? And is there that fear there and um, all those other stuff? And it seems like your approach is, you know, one, they're facilitating, like everything that they need is there. And then two, you're trusting in a lot of ways. Yeah. And just to be clear, you know, outreach wise and access wise, I come up with things, certainly bringing church to people. Uh, was something God put in my heart, but I didn't come up with these concepts on my own. You know, I got trained and have, you know, mentors of mine that have completely influenced my life and learned a lot from, you know, foreign missionaries and what they're doing. But yeah, I was, that was one of the biggest point I was fighting on. And I was the one raising all those questions and really starting arguments. And one guy said to me, well, is there any heresies in the church that aren't biblical or traditions? And boy, mm. and it just... I just said, yeah, wow, you're right. And just started thinking of all the things we create in traditional church or ministry that actually didn't come from the Bible. They just come from tradition. So it's just so exciting just to strip all tradition away. And to, you know, for example, if there's a, if there's a group of Muslims, I'm not going to teach them to listen to, to an iPod worship music. Uh, you know, Muslims don't even worship with music. You know, so let them read the Bible and also 
going back to the point at church, when they come to Christ, we take them through a series of what is church. But we let the Holy Spirit guide them to what that is. You know, what is their mm. form of worship? What is their form of prayer? You know, going in there and teaching them Americans thing is, it doesn't work, and it takes people out of their culture. And it yeah. totally isolates and causes division and even sometimes dangerous situations, especially working with Muslims and Hindus. They take them out of their family, their culture. So, But is there going to be heresy? Absolutely. But we all walk in it. We all have, none of us get everything perfectly. No church right. does. I don't. And I'm okay with that. You know, what's the all, you know, we started a Bible study with an HIV community with all people in the gay community. They're all boyfriends. They're in this particular group. They're doing drugs. And they're facilitating the Bible. And, you know, you get complaints about that. And I'm just like, what's the alternative? You know, the alternative is they're not hearing about Jesus. So Hmm. to me, it's worth the risk in taking chances because that's the only way for people to hear. But do Hmm. I care about what the truth and what's in the Bible? Absolutely. And we do our and we do our best to to bring out truth of the Bible. So I hear like an entire segment of my listening population; their heads just exploded. <laughs> um, but I, I I think that that you ask a question that has to be asked when we're thinking about spreading the gospel and sharing our faith with people. Do they do they have to live as saints before they have access to God's word? Is the gospel the reward for for changing your life, or is the gospel a thing that has the power to save a person and then, through the Holy Spirit, begin to refine them? That's that's always going to be a struggle in the church, and and it's always going to be something that we have that we have to be committed to mm-hmm. that process. Mm-hmm. Um, it's difficult, and uh, and that's challenging, man. I'm glad that you yeah, that you're talking about. And God How, God wants to use ordinary people. Like, I, I thought in the beginning, wow, God wants to use me, you know, the expert, and, you know, I'm the apostle, or I'm the pastor, and, and you know, I ran and controlled everything. And I've, until we really humble ourselves and see people, even if it's a drug addict, that they are the minister, then it's always, you know, it's, it's never going to spread. Mm-hmm. And... That's a it's a big heart issue to trust yeah. uh, people uh, with the gospel. But look who Jesus trusted, and there was a movement in California with some of my network and their uh, biggest church planner. They planted two thousand churches among Latinos in California, and their biggest church planner was a seventy-two year old grandmother with a second grade education. Mm. And it's just so beautiful. It's how it should be, and that my job is to find those people and support them. You say you you said this beautiful thing. You said trusting, just trusting people with the gospel, um, and that's, I think, for a lot of us, unfortunately, that's easier said than done. And even myself, I'm challenged by that statement. You know, my training and just my, you know, the fact that I've worked in churches and all these other things. You know, you plant the seed, which is like what God has called me to do. I guess that's a pride issue. Oh you yeah. Know? When it when it boils down to it, I guess like this is this is a pride issue. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man. But he says the uh, harvest is plentiful, and yeah. if you know, we we always think, oh, people aren't hungry in Dallas or America. Well, he says the harvest is plentiful, so that's a promise, and we just have to go out there. It says the workers are few, and mm-hmm. I truly believe those workers are in the harvest, and they're not mm-hmm. calling all my Christian friends. Of course, we do that and train people. But the, the true impact and the way it spreads is finding those workers, those grassroots people out of the harvest, mm-hmm. and really empowering them and trusting them, uh, giving them the re, you know, respect and getting, putting them on the same level as us. You know, we're no better. So, yeah. Um, now, you do, you do work with uh, sex trafficking. And I know, well, I know that that's an issue that your ministry has encountered. Mm. Like, is that something that you guys are actively working against? Is there a program and a plan there? We have stopped. We did it for about five years. <laughs> and a lot of those years, we're just trying to figure it out. 
you know, there was no model to it. And even to this day, you know, the human trafficking things become unpopular, even trendy. Uh, but mm-hmm. a lot of these, a lot of the organizations that have popped up, it's mostly awareness, which is absolutely needed and it works. But as far as the outreach part of it, it just, it doesn't exist in many places. Mm-hmm. In fact, you'll be hard pressed to, to go on the internet and find anyone, at least with, you know, the brothel, you know, people work with street prostitution and all that kind of stuff. We started a team, we had a team of women, then we had an Asian team that would go in, and we're just really praying what that looks like. I, we had a case just five days ago, so we went in a brothel two years ago, and we give them our number and stuff, and a girl, a girl's contacted us a couple of days ago and saying she wants out. And so hmm. we've, we've met with her and, you know, want to build a relationship with her and you really just need a full operation to work in the sex industry. So anyway, that's what we're praying about. Do we, do we want to create a team to do it? They can do it full time. It's very hard to do volunteer base because you get a girl out, then what do you do? You need aftercare. Well, then you need case management and then you need to help them get a job. So anyway, I, I talked to a man a few weeks ago. His name's Wes Magruder. I don't know if you guys have ever met. No, he works specifically with refugees. Uh, in Texas. He's a United Methodist pastor, but he was talking about not just about here's the gospel of Jesus, but like recognizing that they need a lot of help. Well, on the flip side, you know, a lot of organizations, it's it's just help them with their physical needs. And that's happening in the yeah. refugee communities. But we're Jesus believers and you get them out, you save them without Jesus. What What's the point? But, right. but, but absolutely with the sex industry, I mean, there are so many... Bro- brothels in Dallas. I'm not going to say where it is publicly, but I could take people down a street where there's 15 brothels all together mm-hmm. on one street. It's absolutely incredible. And there's, to me, there's, from our research, there's, a, you know, there's thousands of mm-hmm. things like that all around Dallas. And there has to be that outreach aspect and that risk. You can't just rely on awareness or, you know, the police to do it. Because if a girl's stuck somewhere she's not gonna find that you know information to get out like you you have to go and risk and and for us it's different too because we want the pimps to follow jesus so Mm. this this person getting out right now runs she's definitely a trafficking victim but now she's pretty much forced to run the brothel so she considered a house mama so we want her her, we want to reach you know everyone but anyway they're just they're just like a missionary going into the middle east there's danger there there has to be as much risk here in taking chances. How do we? How do my listeners help you? Uh, that's a great question. Yeah, it's always a hard question because we're not really set up for volunteers anymore. You know, what, what we're right. looking for is people who want to, quote unquote, plant churches. And if that word right. scares you, we want people that want to reach people and disciple people and help them start Bible studies. You know, something that's been really fruitful for us is Part of the frustration of working with other cultures, what's fruitful overseas is uh, the typical model is, a, you know, say it's a white missionary, they go in and they train insiders. They train mm-hmm. indigenous people. I learned that in, you know, Bible college. And it's incredibly fruitful. Hundreds of thousands of churches are being planted that way. Well, we don't take that concept in America. It's usually, honestly, the white missionary who tries to do all the cross-cultural work himself. I'm I've done it for years, and, you know, I consider my, I'm joking, but I, you know, I'm an expert working with Muslims to some people, but I will never be that person's culture. So Mm -hmm. we wanted to take that concept here and really find insiders to work with. And the problem was we can partner with them, and we do, but, you know, how can we even hire them and empower them? And uh, so we started a fund called the Insiders Fund. That church planting movement I was talking about in California spread all over Latin America and the Caribbean, and one of those is Cuba, uh, Mm because family members know each other, (laughs) and the the churches spread. Well, they've started 3,000 churches in Cuba in the last two years, and that number they're saying is going to be 10,000 by the end of I saw that you were just there. Yeah, and I, I just went there. Well, one of the leaders that started that, Felt God was calling him here, and of course he was very persecuted there. Now he, we've hired him, and he works for our team. And just in the last six months, I mean, he's starting 
Bible study groups with the Latino community, stuff I've been trying to do for years, he does in, in months. And so he's already got five groups going and already training multiple people. You know, his goal is to have 100 groups by the end of the year. And then we hired an African couple, and lo and behold, started seven groups already among Muslims. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, missionary, local missionaries in America, we have to raise our own support. But you can't have an international who hasn't lived here long raising their support. So we've started that fund, and I think it's absolutely key to reaching other cultures. As, as we as Americans, can we step back and empower other people to do it. You know, former Muslims, uh, the Latino community, you know, whatever it is, any insider, uh, ex uh, sex trafficking victims, whoever it is, can we figure out ways to empower them? And that's where we've seen the fruit. So, how can we help our ministry? Yeah, we're looking for people who want to start churches in their offices or wherever, their homes, their families. But um, yeah, financially, we do. We need. We need money. We need connections and finding more insiders. And we. All right. Well, we'll make sure to include links to your website and to the Insiders Fund in our show notes. And so, if you're listening, please, please be praying about. You know, be praying for loving all peoples. Be praying for Kyle and his team, um, and be praying about. You know, if you're able to give, how much you're able to give, and and then do it and participate in that way. I think that what we're going to walk away with is like this, uh, this incredible, uh, you know, desire to want to see the Holy Spirit move. And I hope that listeners today kind of feel that way too. I appreciate you giving me your time today, Kyle. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was great being on here. I, so I hope it, I hope it encourages somebody, and that you know, that excites me. So that yeah, my. My job is to hopefully inspire someone to reach a lost person. It's a beautiful thing. So, yeah. Listen, I know what it's like to work in a church, and I know what it's like to have a way that we do church work. And I also know that it's likely that so much of what you do every week is different than what you thought it would be. I feel those things, too. I hope that this week, because of this episode, that you will actively seek opportunities to be obedient, that you will actively seek opportunities to share your faith, that you will live the adventure, because there are lost and hurting people everywhere. And when you do, please tell us about it. Tell us your story. Engage with us. Engage with us on Twitter at Prod Ministry. That's P-R-O-D Ministry. Engage with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash productiveministry.org. We would love to hear the stories about how God used you and your faithfulness. Today's show was produced by Timothy Jenkins. The Productive Ministry Podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are served. Complete show notes, including links to Loving All Peoples, the Insiders Fund, and the blog that we read in today's episode are available at productiveministry.org. We hope that you'll share this episode, and we'd love to talk to you about it. This has been a production of Rumble Media, LLC. And as always, we hope you have a productive week.